The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 4 a.m. in Dallas, Texas, and here is your top five at five. Millions in Texas still in the dark and cold. Power remains off with little or no heat as another storm hits the state and as people point fingers about what went wrong, a humanitarian crisis grows. Outside of that, stimulus still in focus for the markets. But as the vaccines roll out and cases tumble worldwide, well, the relief package gets smaller as well. The Reddit rebellion in the hot seat alongside the hedge funds they wanted to bring down. Regulators want to know exactly what went on. Could charges be filed? In odds, Australia firing back at Facebook over a deal to block news content. And brewing up success, we speak with the co-founder of one black-owned coffee brand on their effort to give back to the community. It is Thursday, February 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. And here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures not giving us again a lot of help of indication of which way this market may go. We're down slightly, but again, right now at this hour with the volume, let's call that flat. Now, on Wednesday, the Dow eked out gains to hit a new record, the S&P and NASDAQ closing just a touch lower. The big story, though, does not continue to be stocks. It's in the energy market and the story out of Texas. We'll get more on the latest on that in a moment, but right now to the underlying fossil fuels involved, or at least partly. WTI crude continues to move higher. We are seeing WTI above 61 bucks a barrel on reports that we may actually see production cuts by the Saudis or OPEC in general, or at least removal of some of their planned increases. Natural gas on the move as well, but these are not the prices that you're seeing on the board that are impacting Texas right now because a lot of power producers and distributors are still paying exponentially more in the spot market just to buy natural gas to run the power plants, in some cases, hundreds of dollars more per unit, by the way. Also get a quick check on the cryptos. Ether, the world's second biggest digital currency behind Bitcoin, hitting another record. All of them are down, but Ether, Ether hitting 1918 in trading overnight up 2.5% right now. All right, so let's get around the world and get your headlines and some of your top trades, see how the markets are doing for that. We go to Jumana Bersetchi in our London newsroom. Jumana. Morning, Brian. Well, European equities seem to be searching for direction as well today. The mood board is pretty mixed. Uh, some of the indices are trading in negative territory, some in positive territory. We're still very much focused on company earnings. Uh, we're still right in the heart of earnings season over here in Europe. You talked about the commodities rebounds. Well, uh, some of the best performing names are in the FTSE 100. The basic resources, miners like Glencore, Rio Tinto, still continuing to p- perform quite well, though it's not apparent from the overall index performance. Cacaronte being weighed down today a little bit by Airbus. So, who released their results earlier. 
quite disappointing market reaction there. That stock is down about 3%. And then a focus still remains to be on Italy. Just to remind viewers that the confidence vote for Prime Minister Draghi is going into day two. Yesterday went through the Senate with no issues. Today will occur in the lower chamber. But there are two stocks in particular we're focused on today in Europe in the banking space, Credit Suisse and Barclays. Credit Suisse has reported a 22% full fall in full-year net profit. The Swiss lender swung to a loss in the fourth quarter, as expected, weighed down by provisions for a long-running U.S. legal case. And Barclays is resuming dividend payouts after its earnings beat expectations. But the reaction has been pretty negative, as you can see behind me. So uh, that is it for Europe, Brian. Continuing to search for direction, but perhaps a little bit more red on the board today. Certainly is. Jumana Brissetti, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, now to three big money other stories to begin your day. First, that growing crisis in Texas. Millions of residents remain in the dark as cold weather and another storm moves across the state. Governor Greg Abbott yesterday signing an executive order directing natural gas companies to stop all shipments of gas outside the state, ordering them instead to direct them to power stations within Texas. Meantime, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas said it had restored electricity to about 1.6 million homes, but cold comfort for nearly 2 million families that still do not have power and likely do not have heat. FEMA has sent 60 generators to Texas to try to power critical infrastructure in addition to blankets, bottled water, and meals. Story two, Congress set to hold a hearing on last month's short-squeeze trading frenzy. Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman, Citadel CEO Ken Griffin, and Melvin Capital Management CEO Gabriel Plotkin will be among those testifying. According to remarks released ahead of that hearing, Tenev is expected to call for trades to be settled in real time, blaming their problems on that two-day settlement period, not Robinhood itself. While Huffman will say that activity on the Wall Street Bets Forum was actual people and not driven by bots or foreign agents from Russia. Story three, Australia's treasurer slamming Facebook's decision to block users there from nearly all news content on its platform. The move by Mark Zuckerberg comes as the Australian parliament prepares to potentially pass a new bill that would require online media platforms like Facebook and Google to pay news outlets for displaying and linking to their content. All right, now to your money and your next guest says an earnings recovery Continued pace of vaccinations and falling cases should help keep stocks moving higher overall, but there do remain risks. Alicia Levine is the chief strategist at BNY Mellon Investment Management, and she joins us now. Alicia, we've kind of stalled out the last couple of days. Not that two days make a trend, of course, but do you feel like the market is starting to reprice any assets or maybe rethink the current pricing of those assets? Well, good morning, Brian. Look, I... Our biggest risk really going into this kind of reflation and rotation trade always was spiking yields. And that's because the market with yields so low, it doesn't really take a lot to really spook the market on some kind of bond market sell off here. And what we saw in the last few days is yields moving very quickly as the PPI came in and just concern about inflation moving to the forefront. And I think the market sentiment is going to be we're getting inflation until you tell me otherwise. And so there's going to be strength in the cyclical sectors and strength in, in value. And I think you're going to see a softness in the tech sector just because those long duration assets 
are most affected when yields move higher. So this is a bit of a show me. Show me that there's not going to be inflation because I think most market participants are expecting big reads as we cycle through the year and get those big base effects. Well, yeah, and as we've showed our audience, I mean, pretty much every hard or soft commodity, fossil fuels, you, you name it, the price is probably up, at least in the last year, but a longer-term chart might show a different story. I want to go to stocks because small caps has been the story. We've been featuring and talking about small caps since June or July of last year on this program, which has been great for our viewers. But now, according to your data, 90% of the Russell 2000 are above their 200-day moving average. I'm no math whiz. 90% sounds like a lot. Is that overvalued? Yeah, no, so it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. The number is actually the same for the S&P as well. Both are at about 91% uh, of the constituents trading above the 200-day moving average. The reason that matters is because it shows the broad nature of the market rally. It's not top heavy. It's not being led only by one sector by, uh, while other sectors fall away. It's very broad. And with this kind of breadth, you do not get market tops. You can get consolidation, and I think we'll see that here in the next few weeks, just as we absorb some of, some of the gains that we've had. This is not a market top, and frankly, not a bubble, because bubble, bubbleicious conditions do not happen when 91% of the constituents are making 200-day move, uh, highs. So that's why it's important. I do think we'll pause here as the yields kind of settle in. I think they're going to move faster but the, the, the issue is, is that right now, real, real yields are still very deeply negative to the tune about negative 1%. And given that, there is no alternatives, and that's going to support markets. And I'll tell you what's been supportive lately, and we don't pay a lot of attention to it, but we probably should. And I don't know what the longest timeline chart we have in our system for the Nikkei 225 in Japan is, but if you're not paying attention at home, Japan, despite terrible demographics, no growth, four or five recessions in the last 20 years or so, has just broken above 30,000 on the Nikkei since 1989, the year I graduated from high school, Alicia. Are, are you a believer? Are you a buyer? Are you big in Japan? <laughs> Look, Japan's amazing. It has been 29 years. And yeah, let's not talk about years, Brian. But um Look, Asia's breaking out everywhere. It's not just Japan. Actually, China broke out the first time since 2007. So equities everywhere in Asia are very, very strong. And in part, it's based on the cyclical recovery. So as the U.S. recovers, as, as other countries recover, manufacturing is stronger. And Asia really benefits from that, including the weaker dollar. So yes, we'd be buyers of Asia right here, including Japan. The, the charts tend to tell you where markets are going. And so the, you know, the, the demographics are not great in Japan. However, they just had a blowout of uh, fourth quarter GDP. You may have seen it 12, up 12 percent. So the fundamentals are getting better. For the long term, probably there are structural issues. But we like Asia. We like Europe. And we like Europe for the same some of the reasons we're talking about, which is the rotation trade. Europe does not have as much tech. It has value and cyclicals. And those cyclicals are what's supporting markets right now. Yeah, and, and thankfully, COVID cases are crashing around the world. Let's hope that continues. Even in Europe, where their vaccine rollout has been terrible. I mean, we criticize ours here. They're at one third our pace. 
you know, you look at sort of this vaccine boom that we're starting to see in certain places of America. You think Europe is just kind of lagging us by a few months and and once they start to get vaccinated and cases keep falling, hopefully they're going to kind of bust out and be where we were a couple months ago. Look, look, it's hard to know. I'm hoping this is a delay and not a, not a trajectory issue. So let's assume it's a delay by a few months. They have supplied. They've been working on it. But look, fundamental to all of this is that somehow we all get to put COVID behind us one way or another. I think the data out of Israel actually has been very encouraging. You may have seen it, but Pfizer in a real world scenario, yep. each arm 600,000 people, still 94% efficacy, including variants in that country. So I think that that really is the center of what, how we see markets. We have to get beyond this by, let's call it the summer, by the third quarter. Otherwise, the whole structure of what we're talking about does begin to fall away. Yeah. And that's another big risk besides the yield issue. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of talk about the South African variant, but South Africa has the largest declining cases in the world, actually, of, of pretty much Correct. any nation that records its numbers. We got to remember that. Alicia Levine, great stuff Correct. there. We're watching Japan. Alicia, arigato gozaimasu. Thank you very much. All right. Now to Washington, D.C., where the Biden administration is taking new steps in its bid to combat future risks of covid as harsh winter weather slows down the pace of vaccinations around America. There's a live look at the Capitol and a little winter weather on the way there as well. Tracy Potts joining us now from Washington, hopefully warm and indoors because snow's either there or it's coming. It's on the way, and, and I am warm and indoors. Thanks for asking, Brian. May not be that way uh, later today. In fact, that weather has postponed uh, the president's trip to Michigan today to visit a vaccine plant. They're hoping they can do it tomorrow. The Biden administration still pushing for that big $1.9 trillion uh, COVID relief plan. But while they're waiting, they're also hoping to spend some money on hand to boost testing for students and for underserved communities. The White House plans to spend $1.6 billion on more COVID tests and supplies while waiting for Congress to approve massive relief. Federal government has to chip in, make sure we get this done. Storms affecting 30 states are delaying vaccine shipments. We're gonna run out. Today, tomorrow, we're going to run out of what we have now. The U.S. is now vaccinating 1.7 million people every day. But the CDC warns cases are dropping because we're coming off the holiday surge, not because more people are getting shots. And that new strains of coronavirus could push those numbers back up. The continued spread of variants that are more transmissible could jeopardize the progress we have made in the last month if, our, if we let our guard down. Instead of spring, the Biden administration now says due to production delays, it'll be July before the vaccine is available to every American. Next month marks one year since the country shut down. The CDC predicts 559,000 deaths by then. And the White House is planning how the president will observe that anniversary, Brian. Uh, they're considering him doing a speech or maybe even an event in Washington or elsewhere. They're still working on it. Tracy Potts in D.C., watch for that snow. Tracy, thank you very much. Be well and be safe. A lot of weather coming. All right. And we're coming up right after this break. And when we do... 
All right, COVID cases and hospitalizations, they are down around the world, but there are some concerns about something Tracy just talked about, different strains coming out of one big virus maker, vaccine maker, plus another shakeup at Boeing. It faces more changes from its 737 MAX crisis and shares of Twilio taking off. We'll tell you why and who Twilio is. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Tracy touched on it just a few moments ago, but it is time now for our daily COVID vaccine update, the latest data, the facts on the CDC numbers about how many of us have actually been vaccinated. And overall, about 56.3 million shots had been administered. Of that, 40.3 million receiving at least one shot. So about 16 million getting the full dose, two shots. But remember, even one shot, especially of Moderna, is 80% effective. Now, overall, this means 16.7% of American adults have received at least one vaccine dose. But a lot of questions about these new variants, these mutations that you hear about. Remember, all viruses mutate, and this one is no exception. Well, there is some good news. In a small lab study, Pfizer says that despite slightly reduced antibody growth, and that's getting a lot of headlines, the main part of the story is that the vaccine was still able to largely neutralize the South African type of the virus. And Pfizer is talking to regulators about developing an updated version of the vaccine or some kind of booster shot if needed. And overall, COVID cases around the world, whether it's here in South Africa, the Southern Hemisphere or Europe, thankfully, seem to be on a major decline. Let us hope that continues. All right, still on deck. Inspiring the next generation of black entrepreneurs, a co-founder of Black and Bold Coffee talks about the brand's new initiative to do just that. And remember, this month is Black History Month. And so we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors and friends. Here is Degas Wright with a personal story about knowing your value. Early in my career, I was interviewing for an analyst position. I arrived at the office and told the reception, I'm here to see the manager. And she said, have a seat in the reception area. I was the only person sitting there. When the manager came into the reception area, he asked the receptionist, did Mr. Wright leave? That manager did not see me. He did not see that the person sitting in that reception area was the same person that described in the resume. But to me, that did not matter because I knew my value. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. It is 523 here in the East, 423 right there in Dallas, Texas. It looks shockingly peaceful right now, and there are, of course, lights on. But behind that and around the suburbs and many parts of the exurbs, it is a much different story. Two million people across Texas still remain without power. The weather is very cold. Many have not had heat for two or even three days now. It is a very scary situation, and unfortunately, there is more storm there on the way. Meantime, that storm that hit Texas a couple of days ago is now pushing its way to us on the East Coast and bringing with it a messy mix for all of us who likely already have snow on the ground and maybe a lot of it. NBC News meteorologist Bill Karens joining us now with more on what we can expect here and maybe what they can expect in Texas where, Bill, they don't need any more storm. No, they didn't need it to warm up. I mean, the water situation is getting kind of scary in many areas because so many pipes have burst. People have had their faucets on for like four straight days, you know, because they don't want their pipes to freeze. It's one way to prevent it. But now the water supplies are just diminishing so low that, that you know, some are now only getting a drip. And so, the, you know, it's a, the problems just keep piling on top of each other because of these temperatures. So let's take this in two parts. Let's first talk just Texas, because right now it's still very cold. Houston, 34. Look at Dallas, only 25. Oklahoma City at eight degrees. Unfortunately, we about 300,000 people lose power from the snow and ice yesterday in Louisiana and Mississippi. So we added some pain there. Um, obviously, some people in Texas have gotten their power back on, but we still have roughly one to two million without power. The unrelenting cold stays with us today. Temperature still below freezing all day long in Dallas. Houston gets up to the low 40s. That's a little bit better. And then this weekend, the gradual warming continues. It's not really till Sunday that they'll actually feel some warmth. Houston, 64 degrees. Dallas, about 53. So that'll be a significant improvement. And that'll be a lot of people not taking as much power off the grid and needing as much electricity. And as we mentioned, we still have that snow and ice that we're dealing with in areas of the east, Brian. 104 million people still impacted by this winter storm. The snow totals are not going to be all that impressive by northeast standards, but it's a wintry mix and mess, especially around D.C. Uh, New York City should be just snow, but only about three or four, Brian. This time of year, we can deal with it. Yeah, some more snow on the way. And, you know, it's amazing, Bill, when you look at that, that chart and the graphics you had of Texas, and you love to see that Corpus Christi, maybe it's 71 degrees. Hard to believe <laughs> that a couple of days before that, it was one degree or five. We're getting 40 and 50 degree yeah. swings in temperature in a couple of days. Luckily, it seems to be going the right direction. Yeah, and there's no big cold blast behind this one. So uh, they'll kick in the spring pretty quickly. All right, Bill Karens, NBC meteorologist. Bill, good to see you again as we await the snow here. Thank you very much. All right, well, staying on Texas, much more on that crisis. Two million still without power. Millions have not had power for a couple of days. The finger pointing, ramping up. We're going to speak with one expert about what really went wrong with the state's energy infrastructure. What needs to be done to avoid a repeat? Because it has happened before, they haven't seemed to learn. 
If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. Call Worldwide Exchange. The Dow is implied open, down 50. We're back after this. Will it be new record highs for stocks again today? The Dow notching another one Wednesday, but is the steam finally running out of this incredible market engine? D.C. in focus and a beltway brawl over GameStop. Congress putting the CEOs of Robinhood, Reddit, hedge funds on the hot seat, but will they actually do anything about it? And we stay with our continued coverage of the crisis in Texas. Millions still without power or heat. And the only thing that does seem to be heating up the finger-pointing and political blame game. It is Thursday, February 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. It is just about 5.30, exactly 5.30 on the nose here, and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money investments look right now as we are exactly halfway through this 5 a.m. hour. Futures not giving us a lot of help on which way this market wants to go. We saw a mixed trade yesterday, but every high is a new record for the Dow, and Dow futures implied open is, as you can see, slightly. I'll take Alice in the center square for 200. I just mixed many game show metaphors right there. Either way, we don't know which way this market's going to go. We are indeed staying, though, focused on Alice. Alice. <laughs> it's been a long, long week. On oil and gas, the winter storms in Texas shutting down at least a fifth of the U.S. refining output and a million barrels of crude production. You've also got about 3 million barrels a day or so of refining capacity offline. Most of the refineries literally just either frozen out, too cold to operate, or unable to get the raw oil to them to refine anywhere because pipelines and other facilities are frozen. Of course, we'll get more on that and of the failure of the Texas power grid writ large in just a minute. We also continue to watch the other hot story, and that is cryptos, believe it or not. Of course, remember, mining uh, mining Bitcoin takes a lot of power. We are seeing Bitcoin down a little bit right now, but look at Ether go up 3.5% right now. It is above 1,900 for the first time ever, the only of the cryptos that is higher today. All right, here are a few of the other big money corporate stories for you on this Thursday morning. Story number one, Twilio shares popping after the cloud communications company, that's what they do if you're wondering, posted a surprise profit in their latest quarter. Revenues also topping estimates. Look at Twilio Go, up 11.5%. One year, up, you know, just 260%. Story two, the House Financial Services Committee will hear testimony today from the leaders of Robinhood, Reddit, Citadel, and others. This comes in the wake of the GameStop trading frenzy of the last month. Lawmakers plan to talk about the lack of data on short selling, And the Wall Street Journal reports the SEC is considering whether to require more short-selling transparency. The 2010 Dodd-Frank financial overhaul law required the SEC to collect the information, but the regulator just really never imposed those rules. And your third big money story, Boeing. Two longtime board members are retiring. Susan Schwab and Arthur Collins will not stand for re-election at the company's annual shareholder meeting. Boeing has not yet announced new director nominees, but the Wall Street Journal reports the change is part of an effort to bring fresh people in with new perspectives following that crisis around the 737 MAX and criticism on how it was handled. All right, now back to the big story of the day and this week, and that is the growing crisis in Texas. 
two million plus still remain in the dark, likely without heat, as another winter storm moves across the state. Governor Greg Abbott yesterday signing an executive order directing natural gas providers to stop any shipments of natural gas outside the state. In other words, ordering them to keep all their gas inside Texas to try to help power up some of those power centers. The Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, a name you've heard a lot lately, said it had restored about 1.6 million homes to electricity. But as we noted, about 2 million customers still do not have power days in. So what exactly happened here? Let's talk more about the situation, what went wrong, what can we fix, and maybe how do we avoid this again. Joining us is Joshua Rhodes, research associate with the Weber Energy Group at the University of Texas in Austin. Joshua, the fact that I'm seeing you indicates uh, that you must have power, but if you're in Austin, Austin has been one of the hardest hits. I've seen pictures where the downtown is lit up and you got areas outside all the way to Bastrop and whatever that are completely in the dark. Uh, before you give us your expert opinion on what happened, what is your situation with your friends and family? Do they have heat? So we finally have power back. So we were one of the four million who originally lost power, you know, early Monday morning, and we didn't get it back for a couple days. And so, but as of now, we have power, and I'm I'm, I'm glad I still have power and I have a, a warm place to sit. Although we're trying to keep it cool in here so that we can, you know, try to share the rest of the power with the rest of the state and get some of these folks back online. Yeah, and that's what the state is urging. I mean, listen, there, there, this is. The world of electricity generation and grids, I'm no expert, but diving in, Josh, the last couple of days has been mind-blowing in its complexity. The finger-pointing is going everywhere in your mind from where you sit. Where was the real breakdown, or was it literally the perfect storm of problems? You know, I've never seen all 254 counties of Texas under a winter storm warning at the same time. I mean... We do our best to plan for, for, for events, but I mean, this is beyond anything that I believe any reasonable person would have, you know, said would have happened at the same time. And so, I mean, I mean, the, the, it is somewhat of the perfect storm. I mean, you have a bunch of homes in Texas, you know, about 60% of homes in Texas use electricity for heating. The other 40% use natural gas. And the state grid is really built around our summer peaks. I mean, that's what we're kind of famous for. 4 p.m. August afternoons, it's 105 degrees outside. You're trying to you're trying to run every single air conditioner in the state, and that's what we are looking. That's what you know. That's what our system is set up for. But the difference between then and now is there's competition for that natural gas. In the summer, it's all going to power plants, and this time, you know, a lot of it's going for for heating. And there just was not enough to go around. We had freeze offs at wells and pipelines and. Power plants couldn't get cooling water. A third of our thermal fleet went offline. Some of our wind turbines did freeze. I mean, it was a perfect storm of things. We did. We could not match supply and demand. And when you cannot match supply and demand on an electricity system, you have to reduce. You, you have to. You have to shut people off, or the whole thing goes down. Yeah. And that can take weeks to turn back on. It'd be terrible. And, and it, you know, as people still freeze, it's become this this political football, which is just to be honest mm. with you, kind of gross. And people are pointing fingers, saying. Oh, it's the renewables. And then, the, no, it's natural gas. Last night on the news with Shepard Smith, I showed our viewers the actual numbers. The decline mm -hmm. in power the two days of the storm versus the five-day average was down about 25 to 30% for all the major generation. Natural gas, mm -hmm. wind, uh, coal, and nuclear, only solar outperformed. The bottom line is everything kind of failed, right? To your point, you buy a cheaper turbine that doesn't have carbon blades 
or de-icing, that we never thought the pipelines would get this cold. The coal literally froze in place and was unable. There are things we can learn from this, Joshua, but this was, to your point, maybe not a hundred-year storm, but darn close. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we had similar, you know, we had some similar weather back in 2011, and we did a commission, we did studies, and we looked at, you know, what do we need to do? And we, we, we looked at what best practices were for some of these, some of these entities, um, you know, some of, the gas, some of the gas lines, some of the cooling water intake lines. And we came up with a, a series of best practices, but we made it voluntary. And it appears that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of them didn't, you know, do those things. And so, I mean, I hope at this, I hope this time we make it compulsory. I mean, you know, at some point we had, you know, over 4 million customers, you know, without power during the coldest that this state has ever been across it. And that's just unacceptable. And homes that are largely not insulated to handle this because you are a warm weather state. You try to keep the homes cool, not warm. And that's the problem, right? Spent 10 years ago, hey, spend a lot of money to upgrade for things that may not happen, but once every 10 or 20 years, and a lot of people ignored it, and hopefully this mm-hmm. time things will get done, and maybe, Joshua, ERCOT will be forced to, to share those pipes with some of the other grids. We will see Joshua Rhodes, University of Texas. I'm glad you have heat and power and doing your part to tile it down, to share with others, and best luck to you and all your colleagues and friends there. Uh, we're thinking about Texas and hoping this gets through soon. Joshua, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up, the co-founder of coffee brand Black and Bold, breaking down the boom and their business and see the new steps they're taking to also try to give back to the community. Worldwide Exchange will be back in a moment. Dow Futures off, 42. Stick around. All right, could the Dow hit yet another record high today? We didn't go up much yesterday, but when you go up even one on a record high, it's a new record. Dow futures indicating we don't know which way this market's going to go today. The Nasdaq, though, does appear to be losing some steam. Coming up, lawmakers set to turn up the heat on those at the center of the GameStop trading frenzy. Leslie Picker is here to lay out what you can expect from today's congressional hearing. And if you haven't already, a reminder, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss us any day... You can check us out on the Apple, Spotify, or other podcasting app platforms. The, the podcast called, shockingly, Worldwide Exchange. We'll be back right after this. We have come dangerously close to the collapse of the entire system, and the public is, seems to be completely unaware of that, including Congress and the regulators. That was Interactive Brokers Chairman Thomas Petterfee on Closing Bell yesterday talking about the trading frenzy of the last month with heavily shorted names like GameStop, AMC, Nokia, BlackBerry, and others. In D.C. today, lawmakers are set to grill some of the key players. Leslie Picker joining us now with more on what we can expect. Good morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Brian. The official title for today's hearing is GameStop, who wins and loses when short sellers, social media, and retail investors collide. Now, the House Financial Services Committee calling key players from all aspects of the January volatility that saw shares of GameStop climb to the stratosphere only to plummet shortly thereafter. Keith Gill, a.k.a. Roaring Kitty, and another explicit alias that I can't really mention here, especially not at 5.45 a.m., has been 
been a longtime champion of GameStop, posting his analysis on Reddit and YouTube. He is presumably there as the voice of the little guy. Reddit CEO Steve Huffman will tell Congress that bots, foreign agents, nor bad actors played a, quote, significant role on the subreddit group Wall Street Bets that became the destination for really pumping up GameStop. Now, Vlad Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood, the commission-free brokerage of choice for younger retail investors, uh, Tenev plans to defend his company's necessity to place restrictions on buying shares of GameStop as a necessity. This took place in late January as the volatility boosted the collateral requirements with its clearinghouse over the two days it takes for trades to settle. Robinhood didn't have the cash on hand at the time to meet those deposits. Expect to hear these words as well, Brian. Payment for order flow, especially from the likes of Ken Griffin of Citadel Securities, which pays Robinhood to execute trades. Uh, Citadel was caught up in a variety of conspiracy theories because Griffin owns two separate companies, Citadel Securities, the market maker, and Citadel, the hedge fund. It was the latter that invested in Melvin Capital, another hedge fund that faced a short squeeze in GameStop. The firm's founder, Gabe Plotkin, will say that his short positions were not part of any effort to manipulate the price of a stock. Brian. Okay, Leslie, so this payment for order flow, okay, let's, it's five, to your point, it's 5.45 in the morning. We're going to do this from the layman's turn. If something is free, you, it's free to trade on Robin to people, and the company's worth billions, theoretically, people think, well, how in the world can you be worth billions when you seem to have no product? The product is the trader. How do they make money? So payment for order order flow, or colloquially, colloquially PFOF, uh, is this practice. It's not just limited to Robinhood and Citadel. There are lots of brokerages that do this. Pretty much every retail brokerage has some sort of payment for order flow uh, system in place. And then, and then there are several market makers that also pay for this. Now, from Citadel's standpoint, Citadel will pay, say, Robinhood, for the sake of example, this morning – to execute its trades. Why that's helpful for Citadel is they operate in a spread business, so they're able to make money uh, by executing those trades and, and enjoying the benefit of scale. Retail orders are seen as you know, more lucrative for a lot of these firms, not because they're interested in you know, what exactly you're trading, uh, but because they're a different mm-hmm. type of trade. They're less um, uh, of a similar uh, style, momentum, and all of that yeah. than institutional investors. Yeah, well, and some people get susp- If I knew Leslie Picker was walking into the Kroger to pick up a bunch of avocados and I had the avocados ahead of time, I knew that ahead of time, maybe that's the suspicion. I hopefully will get to the bottom of sort of how this PFOF works. L. Pick, thanks very much. Some tendies for you, Leslie <laughs> Picker. Thank you very much. <laughs> I literally have no idea what I just said. All right, back to the broader markets. As stocks look for fresh, not unfresh, momentum to keep their push into record territory going, will inflation ultimately be the specter that slows us down? Lindsey Bell, chief investment strategist at Ally Invest and a CNBC contributor. Joining us now, Lindsey, uh, I'm old enough to remember six months ago when the 10-year was yielding 50 cents. It's now at a buck 28, 1.28%. Still massively low historically, but a huge move in six months. Is this the thing that we need to watch the most? Is all of our eyes seem to be somewhere else? 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to keep an eye on the the treasury yield market for sure. And the move that we've seen recently has been swift. And that's why investors have gotten a little bit nervous. It also could be an indicator of inflation for certain. So that's one reason that people get a little bit nervous. But I would still just remind investors that this is still well below the 2% range. And if you look at the 10-year treasury yield over a longer period of time, you will see that it's still very low by historical standards. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm not trying to discount the velocity of the move that we've recently seen. Um, but when I look at the market reaction to big moves in a, on a monthly basis, in the month of February, we've seen the 10-year yield move about 20 basis points so far. I went back and looked. When the 10-year moves about 50 basis points in a month, you do see a slight decline uh, in that same month in the S&P 500. But on a a 12-month basis, you'll see the S&P 500 up double digit or up 8%, excuse me. So I think it's something just to keep in mind for investors. I feel like we just kind of reset back to where we should have been, Lindsay, right? I mean, It's easy to look at a one-year chart of anything, and it's going to look really weird because we had that March terror, right? Everybody here in the Northeast, we got destroyed, COVID running rampant. Nobody knew Mm -hmm. what to expect. Everything collapsed. Everything sold off. Then we started to learn more, be a little more thoughtful about it. We're kind of back to where maybe we should be or where we were. If we get a $1.9 trillion relief spending bill, uh, is that just going to goose the economy or goose the stock market even more? Yeah, I'm kind of in the camp with you, Brian. I think we're just kind of getting back to where we should be. Uh, The stimulus, I think, is a key. It's been a key, and I've been saying this for several months now, six months, eight months plus. Stimulus has been a key driver of the market Um, for a very long time. And you continue to see the market react to headlines around the stimulus. Um, The the latest package is supposed to weigh in at about $1.9 trillion. I think market participants are expecting it to be a little bit less than that, but still in the trillions of dollars. So uh, that's pretty substantial all in when you take together the stimulus that we saw last year and into this year. That's that's going to equate to about 25% of GDP. So that mm. adds to a deficit that has been widening. And that certainly can be uh, a, a little bit nerve-wracking for investors. Yeah, but that's a lot of money, especially as we're starting to already see hotels, some of them starting to fill up, flights, people are starting to come out, and half the country seems to be living sort of a normal life, albeit with masks on. Lindsey Bell, Ally Invest, interesting look at the uh, interest rate market. Lindsey, have a great day. Take care. Thank you. All right. The coffee and tea brand, Black and Bold, looking to continue with its mission of not only making great coffee, but making a social impact on kids as well. The company's launching its new Be Bold campaign, aiming to amplify black voices while also inspiring the next generation of black entrepreneurs. Move comes after a tremendous year for the brand. For more, we're joined now by Rod Johnson. He is co-founder of Black and Bold Specialty Beverages. And Rod, let's be clear, okay? I don't know where you are. Here in the East, it's 550. We are the kings of coffee on this show. Maybe there's a partnership ahead for, for, for both of us. Um, there you go. I'm looking at your numbers. 5,300% growth. Is that a typo? 
No, uh, it's something that we're still digesting. Uh, first and foremost, good morning. Um, but last year what was very uh, remarkable for us. You know, I think it really represents the, the shift in consumer behavior. And we really were, you know, the recipients uh, of that change. And you also had to change, I assume, every, like every other retailer, how you delivered, right? Everybody just locked down, ordering online. How much was of a, of a shock was it for your supply chains and just your inability to say, okay, stores are less important. We need UPS. Yeah, yeah. You know, fortunately for us, we uh, started as a digitally native brand. So while many coffee shops and, and other businesses were trying to figure out online and e-commerce, we had already been set up. So I wish that we could say that we had the foresight uh, to predict what would have happened in 2020. But nevertheless, uh, the fact that our business was set up online and we had those strong retail partnerships really bode well for uh, a solid 2020 and a lot of momentum that we'll look to continue in 2021. Yeah, and some of the best companies throughout history, Rod, as you probably know, have been started during the hardest times, during the deepest recessions. And when everybody says, don't start a company now, you're doomed, and they do it, and then all of a sudden they come out because they learn the hard lessons early on. What has been, I mean, listen, the coffee market, it's a big market. you got a lot of competition out there, big companies. How do you establish a foothold in that? Yeah, yeah. The, the hugest differentiator about our brand, besides having a great product, is the social impact mission that's embedded at the core of what we do. So as I mentioned, that represents the, the change in consumer behavior because customers are looking to, to invest more in companies that uh, stand for more than just a widget, essentially. Uh, the fact that we contribute 5% of our profits to organizations across America that support domestic at-risk youth really has resonated with consumers and, and others who, who are a little more conscious in their decisions. Yeah, and, and tell us more about your Be Bold campaign. Yeah, really excited about that. So the Be Bold campaign, it launches today. Uh, it spotlights you know, uh, the, the, the purpose-driven brand that we are and like-minded individuals uh, as we ask the question, uh, what does being bold look like in 2021? Uh, so we're speaking with trailblazers, people who are really shaking up their respective industries, whether it be art, fashion, music, um, and really convening over cups of coffee to discuss um, some tips and tricks on, on ways that we can uh, embark on a, a solid year this upcoming year. Very cool stuff, seeing some of the videos there. So, Rod, what's the next step for your company? Where do you go from here? 5,300% growth. What do you got? What have you done for us lately? Yeah, well, we're going to continue to, you know, double down on, on our business model, uh, and that's partnering with, with retailers. Um, you know, fortunate for us, Target has been a, an amazing supporter. Uh, we expanded into over 800 stores this past month. Um, and we'll bring on a few more retail partners uh, along the way. You know, the great part about it is that it allows the everyday customer to participate in this social impact mission just by checking something off their grocery list. So that's up next for us is, is providing a quality product as well as a means to support a very vulnerable demographic. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about inflation. I do watch the price of coffee because I'm boring like that. It's gone up. How are you dealing with slight, you know, inflation's out there, Rod. Your, your, your raw material costs are going up. Yeah, you know, the, the great part about it is that we're, we're in a position to, you know, buy quantities that, that allows us to, to get ahead of that. Um, you know, our micro importers and the relationships that we have directly with farmers, um, you know, we've, we've established them already. Um, and, you know, we've been able to, um, you know, I say get ahead of, of, of those increased prices that, uh, you know, uh, that we anticipate um, coming down the pipe. 
Good stuff. Rod Johnson, black and bold coffee and specialty beverages. And like we said, Rod, this is the capital. If you're on TV at 550 in the morning, you know your coffee. Rod, best to you and your team. Congrats on your success. Talk to you soon. Take care. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Exactly. That's right. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Dow Futures off 71, losing a little bit of steam, squawking the gang. We'll pick up the coverage next. We'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Build that cup up. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.